Last week, the Armenian military called for Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan to resign. Since then, protests have erupted on the streets. On one side, hundreds of people walking next to Prime Minister Pashinyan in support of his government. On the other, protesters storming a government building, demanding his resignation. Now, the prime minister is calling for early elections and proposing a referendum to adopt a new constitution. But will that be enough to calm the opposition and keep him in office? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Nikol Pashinyan is a former journalist and legislator. He became Armenia's prime minister in May of 2018, after a rise in popularity as the leader of anti-government street protests. But last year's deadly conflict in the Nagorno-Karabakh region has become his Achilles heel, after he agreed to a ceasefire to end the six-week war between ethnic Armenian and Azeri forces over the region. The deal granted significant territorial gains for Azerbaijan in and around Nagorno-Karabakh, an area recognized as part of Azerbaijan but populated by ethnic Armenians. The ceasefire left many Armenians upset with the government of Pashinyan. So we talked to someone in Armenia to give us a view from all sides. My name is Richard Girigosian, and I'm the director of an independent think tank based in the Armenian capital, Yerevan. Richard was born and raised in the United States, but 15 years ago, he decided to go back to his roots. My grandfather, a survivor of the Armenian genocide, Mm -hmm. and I moved here some 15 years ago and see an opportunity where I could be much more effective in Armenia itself than sitting in Washington in terms of inspiring change, but also helping to build a more lasting democracy. So let's talk about this week in Armenia, because it was quite eventful. This week began with protesters storming a government building in the Armenian capital on Monday. There was no reported violence, but there were calls for the prime minister, Nikol Pashinyan, to step down. What happened? Well, as we've seen, this is a lingering, long-standing political conflict within the country. And it has been simmering for some time. What's interesting about the past week's development is there was a sudden flurry of activity. We did see an unprecedented military intervention into politics in Armenia. Normally, civil military relations in Armenia is very stable, but the military and some senior officers and generals came out in open defiance of civilian oversight and are in opposition to the government. So... The next question, of course, on everyone's minds after hearing that people are calling for the prime minister to resign is why. The opposition accuses the prime minister of treachery, and it is centered around his handling of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Can you tell me about that? In general, the population is upset given the unexpected nature of the defeat militarily in the recent war with Azerbaijan over Nagorno-Karabakh. There's 
a profound lack of preparation of society during the war for the unexpected defeat. And at the same time, in general, Armenia was enjoying a myth of invincibility <laughs> in many ways, thinking they were strong when they were actually obscuring the reality of vulnerability and weakness, especially given the attack by Azerbaijan backed by Turkey, Armenia was somewhat overwhelmed. Nevertheless, the population is also in a state of denial in terms of not yet being able to properly mourn or grieve, driven by the failure of Armenia to welcome back over 100 prisoners of war and civilian hostages, non-combatants that are still held in Azerbaijani captivity. This leads to a lingering state of war that keeps the issue very much alive, unfortunately. So back to the events of this past few days, really. A group of generals and officers from the military asked Nikol Pashinyan for his resignation. And after that happened, the prime minister asked for the chief of the general staff of the Armenian Armed Forces to be fired. Talk to me about what was happening there. Well, in any democracy, it is virtually an act of treason for senior officers serving in uniform to openly oppose civilian commanders. In the case of Armenia, it was both unexpected but also unprecedented. Pashinyan as prime minister was eager to punish, to seek retribution for the renegade senior military officers for defying him openly and publicly. And the common scapegoat is, of course, the ringleader of the conspiracy of the military coup. That is the chief of staff. The president initially refused to sign the decree required by the Constitution to support the dismissal. And as of today, has promised to take no action, which under Armenian law means that the dismissal will come into effect because the president did not oppose it, nor did he approve it. So it is now an expected natural turn of events. So what Richard is saying is that President Armin Sarkisian rejected the order to dismiss the army's chief of staff, Onik Gasparian. But in the end, by the president taking no action, the general's dismissal will still take effect. In case you were wondering, in Armenia, they have a parliamentary system of governance. So there's a president as head of state and a prime minister as head of government. So how popular is Pashinyan and how strong is the opposition? We do have a dedicated, hardcore, marginal opposition, largely linked to the corrupt former government, that is operating outside of the system, very much in the streets, but not as actors in the political arena. In contrast, we have two small political opposition parties being represented in the current parliament that have broken with the opposition as a whole. And the third element of this spectrum is Prime Minister Pashinyan, still with a very vocal, dedicated, 
cohort of supporters and largely based on loyalty and allegiance. In other words, Pashinyan has no credible alternative and no serious rival. The opposition is widely discredited and unpopular. Making Pashinyan garner the advantage of incumbency and also able to win and secure a majority in the next free and fair election that we expect. How would you define Prime Minister Pashinyan's government, its legacy so far? The prime minister is rather impulsive, reckless in leadership, and with a refusal to delegate authority and decision-making to either his cabinet or to the parliament. And in a parliamentary form of democracy, there are deeper deficiencies, if you will, shortcomings in democracy in this regard. And this lack of investing in institutions of democracy undermines his own legitimacy. Hmm. At the same time, he has made important strides in progress in terms of combating corruption, imposing a higher standard in business and politics. And he's the only Armenian leader in recent decades to usher in a rare degree of legitimacy based on truly free and fair elections. And Pashinyan says he's open to holding early elections, hoping to calm the streets. It is the people who should decide whether I step down or not. But those elections will also come with a proposed referendum on the Constitution, one that he hopes will help balance the power between himself and President Sarkisian. In other words, the presidency may emerge after the next election and constitutional referendum as much more of a true check on the prime minister's overwhelming dominance of politics. There seemed to be some bridging of the divide or an attempt to bridge the divide between the prime minister and the president. What was the impetus behind that? Well, the president of Armenia holds a largely symbolic post. In other words, as then president, he was able during the Velvet Revolution to assist the younger Pashinyan, the inexperienced new government, in attaining a higher level of governing. And I do expect, and we do see, that part of the price or the barter agreement between the prime minister and president for a new election is a constitutional referendum that will give the president greater authority and power by reverting to a semi-presidential system of government. He is much more the Soviet generation and much less the younger 45-year-old prime minister's generation. But I do think it demonstrates the need for statesmanship and for serious leadership over partisan posturing. Do you have hope that is what we're seeing? I do, because the progress to date after a free and fair election and democratization is without risk of retreat or regress. In other words, the opposition has no viable opportunity to come back to power. They're widely discredited. Mm -hmm. And I'm most optimistic because Armenia is simply too small to fail. And what I mean by that is in a country 
so small as Armenia in population and size, it doesn't take much and it doesn't take many to sustain real democratic change. And that change has begun in 2018. And the agent of this change has been this new generation. Snap parliamentary elections. The prime minister has said he is willing to hold them in October. He has conditions for it, though, which is including the possibility of not electing someone else as prime minister if he steps down to clear the way for early elections. How do you think this will help Pashinyan in the long run? I'm not sure it will for two reasons. One is the early election is an important opportunity and a sign of progress moving forward, but it may not be sufficient to secure Pashinyan's lasting role in Armenia's future. We are very much in a new political reality and in a post-war degree of insecurity and instability. Having said that, the second reason is an election, as important as it is, is not enough for Armenia. We need to address the deeper deficiencies. We need greater accountability, more institutional checks and balances in order to ensure a more resilient democracy first. Nevertheless, Pashinyan has been the only leader in Armenia to manage a free and fair election. Therefore, I do think the demand for his resignation would undermine the viability of another free and fair election. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez and Dina Kispe, with Priyanka Tilbe, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Tim St. Clair mixed and edited this episode. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>